Alright, fact checkers, it is a brand new year, but we've got the same great coffee sponsor. So if you head over to Fox and Sons Coffee and use the promo code FCT for fact check this, you get 15% off any order of $25 or more. Also, be sure to check out the new blends that Steve's got over there. We've got the Den Blend 2 Electric Boogaloo. This is a medium roast coffee. If the dark roast was a little too robust for you, but the light was not quite getting what you needed, check out the medium roast. It is fantastic. And also, they've got a brand new one. It's the Costa Rica Honey Prep. Now, this is the same great coffee, but with a little bit of a floral aroma. You're going to really want to check this one out. So head over to Fox and Sons Coffee and use the promo code FCT at checkout to get that 15% off any order over $25. Let's get started. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This Podcast. All right, Fact Check This Podcast, and this one's going to go long. I attempted to do this article as a bonus, or not a bonus episode, as a uh, daily episode or daily uh, clip. And I usually try to keep those in the like 10 to 15 minute range. And I went 26 minutes without even meaning to. Uh, but there's a lot in this article. And, and also I want to try to make a conscious effort to just read through it before I give a whole bunch of commentary. Uh, because it is very long and it is fucking horrible. So this is bonus episode. If you get something out of it, awesome. And if you don't want to listen to me drone through this, I don't blame you. There is a significant portion of my brain that <clears throat> does not want to do this either. But I feel like it's kind of necessary because it is something that... um. I don't know. It's an important, I think it's an important topic. Uh, I think it's, I think it's something that is probably going to get progressively more attention in the mainstream going forward. And the more, the more pushback that occurs against the feminist movement and things like that, the more articles like this are going to become prevalent and the more there's going to be a push to try to shift back in the other direction. So I'm going to try to read through this whole thing without getting too like in the weeds and, and in my own thoughts on it. And once I get, once I get through it, then we'll uh, take an opportunity to kind of dissect some things about it. So this is from Vox, the lovely hallways, just uh, so enlightening Vox, the mounting undeniable Me Too backlash. How Susan Faludi's feminist classic predicted this moment. Uh, I started to think about when backlash to Me Too would arrive almost as soon as the Me Too movement took off in 2017. Most of the writers I know who cover feminism did the same, not because we're pessimists, but because we knew that's just the way it goes. In the fall of 2017, as if out of nowhere, people in mass began to evidence a deep concern about the problem of sexual violence in America. The Me Too movement was formally founded in 2006 by activist Tarana Burke, but 11 years later, all of a sudden, the public actually cared about it. It was part of that apocalyptic feeling that emerged after Donald Trump won the presidency, when suddenly every injustice in American life felt massively visible and consequential. 
First, the news broke that film producer Harvey Weinstein was assaulted, had assaulted dozens of women. Then, dozens more women who had been assaulted by Weinstein came forward. When it was woman after woman coming forward with their own stories of assaults by other people. And after that, not just women, but men too. Every day, another story broke about another powerful man assaulting another defenseless person. Every day, that story was greeted with widespread shock, outrage, and horror. Weinstein, Charlie Rose, Louis C.K., Kevin Spacey, the stories came out one after another, and again and again, the public response was, for once, not to turn away and look in the other direction. People lost their jobs. They were arrested. There were lawsuits and federal legis legislation. The state of affairs, we feminists agreed, could not possibly last. America has never been willing to spend time caring about the safety of women without making them pay for it later. The Me Too moment was going to end. Then there was going to be a backlash, and it was going to hurt. In June 2020, the Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade in the case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. The decision made it possible for the first time since 1973 for U.S. states to outright ban abortions with no exceptions left for survivors of rape or incest and little to no room to care for people, uh, for the health of people whose lives might be endangered by a pregnancy. Most abortions are now illegal in 13 states. There are other less seismic indicators of backlash. Three big Me Too cases that had finally made their way through the court system this year hit massive legal setbacks, with Danny Masterson's rape case resulting in a mistrial, a jury exonerating Kevin Spacey of sexual assault, and Johnny Depp winning his defamation case against Amber Heard, who had accused him of domestic violence. Women who have found themselves in the public spotlight over the past few months, including Heard, Olivia Wilde, and Megan Thee Stallion, have been targeted by a misogynistic outpouring of often bizarrely infected, inflected, uh, by the rhetoric of Me Too. Public opinion polls show the backlash rolling on. Feminism is becoming less popular, especially with young men. According to a 2022 study by the Southern Poverty Law Center, 62% of young Republican men say feminism is a net negative for society, and 46% of young Democratic men agree. Less than a quarter of young Democratic women agree with the statement. In contrast, in 2020, a Pew study found 60% of men across parties agreeing that feminism was empowering and only 34% saying it was outdated. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to stop and I'm going to pick up on some things here because there were a few things that I covered in that uh, few paragraphs that I want to address. And I addressed this in the, the daily uh, the, the daily post on Tuesday. So if you are interested in subscribing to uh, my locals, I, I put all I put everything up on there every day. So a lot of stuff. But Roe versus Wade has nothing to do with me too. Just period. There's the reversal of Roe versus Wade has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with me too. It was a issue of states' rights and it was an issue of did the the uh, Supreme Court overreach their power on the original ruling, which is more or less verbatim what Clarence Thomas said in in his opinion. Also, the whole uh, outright abortion bans with no exceptions left for survivors of rape or incest and little to no room to care for people whose lives might be endangered by the pregnancy, 
uh, most abortions are now illegal in 13 states. The reason they have to say most abortions are now illegal in 13 states is because abortions are not illegal in those 13 states. And all 13 of those states have inclusions for rape, incest, health of the mother. Also, they there are either heartbeat bills or six weeks, but most of those 13 states are in the 12 to 15 week cutoff period, which is kind of the global average. If you look across all of Europe, just about every single European country has 12 to 15 weeks as their cutoff for when you can get an how you know where you can't get an abortion after that without some like massive thing that would be catastrophic to your health to to carry forward beyond that. I this is this is the uh, you know horrific thing that that has been done by the overturning of Roe versus Wade as we've taken on by and large European standards. That's it. That's wow. You know, crazy. Also, um, Danny Masterson's case being uh, ruled a mistrial. The accusers had wildly inconsistent stories, and the jury was leaning toward uh, acquittal, except that there were two like raging feminists who wouldn't budge off of. Uh, finding him guilty so they couldn't reach consensus as a as a jury so it was judged a mistrial um the johnny depp thing like we all watched the johnny depp amber heard trial or at least you should have because it was high quality or uh, i don't know if it was high quality but it was highly entertaining television like holy shit are we really thinking that amber heard was the good guy in that and that she like got screwed uh, that she got screwed in this case or in this trial um, Olivia Wilde then mentioned her in the article. Um, the whole thing with her is like crazed, erratic, psychotic behavior on set of a couple different movies and stuff that she's been working on and, uh, ended up getting divorced and having affairs and all kinds of other stuff. Like this is the behavior that is, uh, that you're saying is being targeted by misogyny. Like, Hold the fuck up. Like the people that you're defending here are objectively the bad guys in these scenarios. Like that's why that's why there's pushback against me too. Uh like the this according to the twenty twenty two study by the Southern Poverty Law Center that all of these like Republican men don't think feminism is a good thing almost half of democratic men don't think feminism is a good thing the only people and they didn't give the stats on women on republican women they by and large don't think that feminism is a good thing either the only the only demographic that does actually think that feminism is doing anything positive for the world are the psychotic crazed feminists of the young democratic left that's it that's the only group that actually thinks feminism is accomplishing anything. Not because of misogyny, not because of the patriarchy, not because of pushback for me too, because the feminists themselves are psycho fucking bitches. And people are starting to look at that and say, holy shit, I don't want anything to do with these crazy cunts. Like, it's time to move away from them. We need to not encourage them. Hey, 
feminism of like the 50s is not feminism of today. Feminism of today is some sort of a psycho uh, coven of raging lunatics and they don't want equal rights and equal pay and to be able to vote and blah 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 they want to like browbeat men to death for no reason they 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 don't have goals they are a full-on activist terrorist group that's it that's feminism today and that's why people don't like it not because of racism not because of misogyny not because of the patriarchy or many of that stuff it's because you're raging bitches, and nobody wants to deal with your asses. <sighs> Back to the article. The problem of fashional feminism, ac feminist activism, followed by extreme backlash, is a known problem for the American women's movement. It has been ever since it was chronicled by Susan Faludi in her 1991 classic Backlash, The Undeclared War Against American Women. Backlash was written in the aftermath of the Reaganite conservative 80s response to the gains of the second wave feminist movement of the 70s. Yet Faludi makes it clear that she's not talking about one particular moment in time. Instead, she's looking at a particular pattern of what she describes as flare-ups of misogynistic attitudes and legislation across the sweep of American history from the colonial era forward. Importantly, the backlash is rarely the product of grand conspiracy or concerted effort amongst sinister misogynists to bring women down. It's simply a mass reaction to a mass movement. Those who enact the backlash, Faludi writes, are often unaware of their role. Some even consider themselves feminists. For the most part, its workings are encoded and internalized, diffuse and chameleonic. But she finds the pattern of this diffuse unplanned backlash emerging throughout American history every time the women's movement appears to be making gains. Do you think maybe it's because women genetically and by and large historically are creatures of a specific type of habit and what they end up doing is becoming once they start to get a little power and start to make some changes they uh kind of lose their shit and go off the deep end like have you ever watched some of these like home renovation project shows where like the woman gets an idea and then she starts down the path of the idea and then all of a sudden like these people are for forty thousand dollars over budget because she wanted to gut uh, a closet that didn't need anything and now we've got to redo the entire house I and mean, like uh, not saying that women are impulsive but some women are kind of fucking impulsive and get carried away with stuff and, and then usually there's a man who steps in and is like got it out we got to reel it back in get shit back on the level maybe it has something to do with that I don't know the American women's movement is generally dated to the Seneca Falls Convention of 1848. In the half century that followed, as women agitated for the vote, more than 100 states passed laws restricting divorce. In the late 19th century, for the first time in American history, it became a federal crime to distribute contraception, and most states had outlawed abortion. Meanwhile, studies circulated warning that only 28% of college-educated women would ever be married. 
A best-selling book by Harvard professor argued that a brain-womb conflict would lead educated women into an infertility epidemic. Career women were said to be <laughs> succumbing to hermaphroditism. Teddy Roosevelt declared the white women who postponed childbirth to be criminals against the race, while the married women pushing for rights were creating a crisis in the family. I mean, were they wrong? Studies circulating the warning that only 28% of college-educated women would ever be married. Anybody got the actual stats on that? Anybody know what the, what the number of college-educated women that are actually married is? I mean, I wouldn't. I would not be surprised if it's pretty damn close to that. I would I would fully be willing to bet that maybe a third. I maybe I'm wrong. I God, I hope to God I'm wrong, but like somebody give me the stats on that. I haven't I didn't look it up. I, I don't want to know. <laughs> There's a little piece of me that just doesn't want to know because I'm worried that this that, that stat is gonna be so spot on that it, it will be comical. The brain womb conflict would lead to educated women or would lead educated women into an infertility epidemic. Has anybody looked at the fertility rates in this country over the last like five, 10 years? Like, and also if you look at over that same time span, the rapid increase in like the, the percentage of college graduates who are female. I mean, come on, this stuff seems to make a lot of sense. Holy shit. If we trace these occurrences in American history, Flutie writes in Backlash, we find such flare-ups are hardly random. They have always been triggered by the perception, accurate or not, that women are making great strides. The Backlash has two targets, reproductive rights and financial freedom. This chick right here in the middle looks really excited to be here. Baluti argues that each feminist backlash always centers on two pressure points which it rapidly endangers. A woman's control over her own fertility and a woman's claim to her own paycheck. That's the case here, too. We're about to get into some, like, really batshit crazy stuff, so just buckle up and, and get ready to go. The Dobbs decision was a wrecking ball aimed squarely at women's control over her own fertility. Generations of women went to bed one night entitled to a constitutional right they were born with, a right to reproductive freedom, and woke up the next day without it. Except that there literally is no constitutional right to an abortion. It is nowhere in the Constitution. It is nowhere in the Bill of Rights. It is nowhere in any of the amendments that doesn't fucking exist, period, at all. Not going to happen. Doesn't exist. Also, you didn't lose control over your own fertility. You are still more than welcome to get nailed as many times as you want and pop out as many kids as you want. You just might have some restrictions on whether or not you can murder that kid in the womb. That's it. That's you didn't lose the, you didn't lose any control over your own fertility. You can still be every bit as fertile as you fucking want to be, and you can still bang every random dude you want and get pregnant as many times as you want. You just can't murder the baby. Sorry, bitch. Hey, it sucks to be you. Almost immediately, story after story emerged of women facing painful, traumatic miscarriages and of a 10-year-old rape victim forced to cross state lines to get an abortion. And this is all complete crock of shit. Uh, most of that was manufactured. The 10-year-old rape victim, holy fuck, every member of that family should be taken out back and stuck in front of a firing squad. Like, the situation that led up to that little girl getting raped and getting pregnant 
was absolutely batshit fucking crazy. Also, it was an illegal immigrant who did it. Also, the mother was aware and allowed it and wouldn't press charges against the guy who did it. And at the time that they did it, the abortion ban had not gone into effect in Ohio anyway. So the only reason that they crossed state lines to get the abortion done in Indiana was so that she didn't have to file a report with the Ohio State Police and have the illegal immigrant who they had staying in their home that raped their 10-year-old daughter deported or put in jail. So don't give me this bullshit. That whole situation was fucked up. You like that can't be your lightning rod for why overturning Roe versus Wade was a terrible thing. That everybody in that situation deserves to go in a wood chipper. Like holy fuck. As for a woman's claim to her own paycheck, it's worth remembering that Me Too is, at its core, a workplace safety movement. The stories that launched Me Too into public consciousness were about people, mostly women, accusing their professional superiors, mostly men, of using their professional power to facilitate sexual harassment and assault. In a time of backlash, Faludi writes, the culture simply redoubles its resistance to women in the workplace, if not by returning women to the kitchen them by making the hours spent away from their stove as, as inequitable and intolerable as possible. One of the culture's strategies, Faludi finds, is subjecting them to harassment. Except that I'm pretty sure workplace harassment is still illegal, like literally everywhere, and also equal pay is a requirement literally everywhere. So, like, if any of these things are happening, it's already illegal, and that's all you have to do about it is, like, just go fucking do something about it. Uh, we're currently in the midst of a spate of high-profile celebrity trials focusing on whether women should get to keep their money or whether they should be dependent on men who they have said behaved violently to them. Frequently, the results are not looking great for women. This year, we'll see a lawsuit between Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie proceeding with Pitt suing Jolie over her decision to sell her share of a vineyard they used to own pro uh, together. Pitt says that Jolie sold her half of the property to a hostile company after promising never to sell it. But Jolie says she tried to sell her shares to Pitt directly, and he refused. Unless she was willing to sign an NDA swearing she would never discuss the infamous 2016 plane ride during which Pitt allegedly assaulted both Jolie and her children. Here, Pitt is seemingly attempting to tie up Jolie's money with her silence in the face of his own alleged violence. The gossip media is overwhelmingly supporting Pitt's side of the story, painting Jolie as a wronged woman out for revenge. I know literally nothing about that story, and just from reading that paragraph, I don't think I want to. In June, a jury found in favor of Johnny Depp in his defamation case against Amber Heard after she accused him of domestic violence. This case might not seem to fit the pattern, but of the backlash separating women from their paychecks since Depp and Heard were married, but it's important to remember that they were also co-workers. They met when Depp cast Heard to play his love interest in The Rum Diary in 2009. Their romance began on the set where they worked together. After their divorce, Depp allegedly attempted to get Heard blacklisted from movie projects. Heard did not experience the beginning of her relationship with Depp as an abuse of his power, but after she left the violence of their relationship, Depp used his professional power to target her ability to earn a living. I'm almost 100% positive it actually worked the other way, and when Amber Heard made these accusations, she got Johnny, Johnny Depp blacklisted. Also, for anybody who paid attention to the trial, it really seems like she was kind of the bad guy in that whole situation, and he, he got abused as much as she did. They were uh, equal partners in the abuse as well as the uh, 
being the abuser as well as being the abusee. And she came across just absolutely batshit crazy in that whole thing. Um, and really, it didn't seem like a whole lot of her accusations stuck to him. Uh, like, this is possibly the worst, one of the worst uh, examples that you could use. <laughs> like, holy shit. Uh, the examples of Canadian amount with Danny Masterson was accused of rape by four women, one of them a, co a former co-worker. It was actually three women and not a co-worker, but ex-girlfriend. His trial, his December trial was deadlocked. I already talked about that. Uh, they were leaning towards acquittal, except for the two raging feminazis who wouldn't come off of guilty, even though everything about the stories of the accusers didn't add up in any way. That's the... What that one is, and and also if you look a little more deeply into that one, seems like it's a lot bigger case of a problem with the Church of Scientology than it is with like Danny Masterson per se. Uh, there's some weird shit going on with the Church of Scientology, and uh, yeah, let's we'll just leave it at that because I don't know if any of the fuckers are watching. They might try to come after me. Um, let's see. And Kevin Spacey was found not liable in battery in a civil suit brought against him by Anthony Rapp, who says Spacey molested him when Rapp was 14 and Spacey 26. After they had appeared in a Broadway or in Broadway shows together, Megan the Stallion was shot by a fellow rapper after she made it clear she outranked him professionally. She found herself the subject of intense scrutiny and mockery over the course of his December trial. I'm gonna be honest with you, if she had not appeared on She-Hulk. I would never have known who Megan the Stallion is. And even after that, I still don't know who she is because She-Hulk was absolute hot garbage. Uh, and I didn't pay any attention to the Kevin Spacey trial. Uh, I liked Kevin Spacey and House of Cards. Excellent, uh, excellent television show, but I, I never paid attention to anything outside of that. So I don't know. Uh, Backlash covers its track by stealing the language of feminism. This is where this gets really interesting. Uh, one of the oddities of our current movement is how frequently the backlash avails itself to the rhetoric the Me Too movement developed. That slippage, too, is characteristic of backlash, which Faludi used as the title of her book in reference to, 19, to a 1947 film of the same name, in which a man frames his wife for the murder he committed. The backlash against women's rights works in much the same way, Faludi writes. Its rhetoric charges feminists with all the crimes it perpetrates, because toxic femi feminism has become the thing. Toxic feminism is way more rampant than any kind of toxic masculinity these days, but nobody wants to talk about that. Me Too and its sister Time's Up campaigns were built around a rhetoric of justice. At last, powerful men would stop being able to get away with it and would be made to, made to face meaningful consequences for what they had done. The backlash flips the script. At last, all these powerful people, women in mass, will stop being able to get away with it, preying on men. If there weren't so many situations and cases where it has actually been women who are using false accusations to get their way and to get men like removed from situation or removed from positions or removed from something or just for shits and giggles because they're fucking evil psycho bitches, um, maybe we wouldn't be having this kind of a conversation. Like the fact that that has been happening and men have been getting run roughshod over because of the Me Too movement and because of the Believe All Women thing and because there have been so many cases where it ends up being that it was a false accusation or it was just a woman who was out to get this dude for no fucking reason or because she didn't like him or something. Like, 
y'all y'all shot yourself in the foot with that. The hashtag Times Up was created to push for systematic change in Hollywood and other industries to call for the professional empowerment and advancement of women so that the Harvey Weinsteins of the world wouldn't be able to abuse their own power so easily. But now it's become a way to call out any woman who is currently unpopular, painting the call out with a veneer of activist virtue in what Faludi calls a coup through euphemism. Now, when a famous woman is in the cultural crosshairs, she is charged with having committed some nebulous abuse of power. At various points over the past few months, social media has trended with Time's Up Olivia because Olivia Wilde was in a consensual relationship with Harry Styles, who was 10 years younger than her, and an actor in the film she directed. Time's Up Amber because a tenant of faith for adept partisans is that Amber Heard was the true abuser in the relationship. And Time's Up Meghan because Meghan Markle has been accused of bullying her staff. Uh, you know, a lot of fam- famous women have been accused of bullying their staffs. Uh, do you know that Kamala Harris like, had her entire staff quit on her, I don't know, like some four months into office because she was so such a like miserable bitch to him? Uh, she I think I think Kamala Harris has had the most staff turnover like ever. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive. Like, go look it up and see how how frequently her staff has is has quit on her uh and i mean i talked about everybody we know about the amber heard thing i talked about the olivia wilde thing like it wasn't because she was in a consensual relationship with harry styles it was because she was being a raging psychotic fucking bitch throughout the whole process is why people were fed up with her This rhetorical reversal can also happen in more subtle ways. Last November, Ben Smith, media critic, former editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed News and founder of the media company Semaphore, wrote a story on Juno Diaz, the novelist who was accused of sexual misconduct in 2018. In his article, Smith favors Diaz's story while giving the impression that he is correcting an unethical bias in previous reporting. Smith suggests throughout the piece that the accusations against Diaz have been blown out of proportion and that Diaz did not deserve to lose his professional standing so dramatically. That Diaz has, in other words, faced a miscarriage of justice. It's like being in prison for a crime you didn't commit, Smith quotes one of Diaz's friends as saying. Smith's article is exemplary of backlash because of how thoroughly and invisibly it returns to a pre-Me Too understanding of how we should treat accusations of sexual misconduct. As the writer Judy Doyle has argued, Smith downplays and belittles the accusations against Diaz. He reveals with a flourish that when Diaz was accused of forcible of a forcible kiss, the kiss in question was only on the cheek, as though a kiss on the cheek cannot constitute sexual harassment. He treats the stories of Diaz's accusers with extreme skepticism and the stories of Diaz and his allies with extreme credulousness. Uh, I hate that word. Sorry. Too much of a redneck for some certain language, uh, certain words in this language. He does not engage with or outright ignores many of the public accusations against Diaz. Multiple people who spoke out against Diaz in 2018 say Smith never contacted them in reporting his story. Literally couldn't tell you who any of those people are. One of the distinctive patterns of backlash is its strategy of making false concessions. Its rhetoric will generally admit that there was at one point a problem that at some point in the bad old days, women really did have to worry about inequality. 
And then the backlash posits that the problem has been solved well before it actually has been. The anti-feminist backlash has been set off not by women's achievements of full equality, but by the increased possibility that they might win it, says Faludi. It is a preemptive strike that stops women long before they reach the finish line. The reckoning brought on by Me Too movement, reported on by multiple or by Pulitzer Prize-winning colleagues at the Times, was long overdue and a huge net positive, wrote New York Times opinion columnist Pamela Paul last May. It took years of dogged reporting on odious cases like those of Bill O'Reilly, Matt Lauer, and Harvey Weinstein to fuel the Me Too movement, bringing necessary attention to the prevalence of sexual harassment and assault in the workplace. The behavior here was clearly egregious. The results were clear-cut and necessary. But Paul went on, Surely Me Too had by now gone far enough. Surely it had targeted too many innocent men. We've thought a lot as a country about what to do with the men who are guilty of sexual violence and harassment, Paul concluded. We've thought about how seriously to take such accusations and what to do with the monsters. But we still haven't thought enough about how to handle all accusations with proportion and fairness. After all, she pointed out, not every accused predator is Harvey Weinstein. I mean, look at the Duke lacrosse players. Look at their, how many other cases have there been where they, this, the idea that we haven't figured out how to handle the false accusations, we haven't. The, because of the believe all women thing, if an accusation was made, even if it was not true, even if it was objectively false, even if you could provide proof on the spot that there is no way I was in that place at that time to have done that, you still got fired. And you were still now some sort of a predator and abuser and deviant. That's why there's pushback against me too. Not because of the viable, credible accusations, the Harvey Weinsteins and stuff like that, but because of all the people that were accused with no proof, with no evidence, who did literally nothing. And those outnumbered the Weinsteins. Those outnumbered the times that it was actually legit. The monsters at the center of the movement. In December, Harvey Weinstein was found guilty of rape in California. He is now awaiting sentencing for that conviction on top of the 23-year sentence he is currently serving after being convicted in New York State on multiple counts of rape and sexual assault. Weinstein's multiple convictions have served as a milestone of sorts for the Me Too movement, the ogre whose crimes sent the whole movement screaming in the public eye, the boogeyman next to whom everyone else's monstrous, uh, monstrousness looks small and petty. At last, he has been brought to justice. Weinstein is 70 years old. It is extremely likely that he will die in jail. In a culture that only speaks carceral languages when it comes to responding to crimes, surely this is what justice looks like. The question I keep asking myself during this time of backlash is, are Weinstein's convictions a victory or are they scapegoating? I can't shake the sense that these convictions are a way of targeting all the movement's anger onto one man rather than onto the systems that let him operate with impunity or the other men who took advantage of those systems in perhaps slightly less grotesque ways than he did. Rather than doing the difficult work of redistributing power and thinking about what a meaningful response to various forms of sexual misconduct should look like, we can simply point to Weinstein's fate and say, see, we fixed it. And anyway, this predator isn't as bad as Weinstein, so what does it matter? Weinstein also serves as an avatar for the figure, for the figure whom Me Too seems to have been, in a way intended to punish. Donald Trump. Trump was elected despite being caught on tape apparently bragging about assaulting women. This is the uh, 
grab him right in the pussy. And despite more than 20 women accusing him of sexual misconduct. Um, it is no accident that Me Too hit its peak of public outrage in the year that Trump took office. It is also no accident that public interest in the movement cooled dramatically as soon as he was out of office. Me Too was the punishment of Trump by proxy, with Weinstein playing the role of the comically villainous and far too powerful predator mogul. Currently, Trump is facing a lawsuit from writer E. Jean Carroll for defamation and rape. If Carroll wins and Trump is found liable, how much will this be a victory for the movement? And how much will it be a public sacrifice for the movement uh, the public has already dropped? If we want real and lasting change, we have to do more than target two individual monsters and go back to ignoring all of our other problems. I don't want to have to wait another 30 years before we get to make progress again. What will it take to break the backlash pattern once and for all? I don't know anything about this Trump thing. I, I would think that if this was legit, it would be all over the news. But this is this article is literally the first place that I've heard about it. But to answer her question at the end, if we want real and lasting change, uh, you know, what will it take to break the backlash pattern once and for all? It's probably going to take women who are put into positions of power to actually succeed. There have been at least a half a dozen CEOs over the last six months or so, maybe a year, who had been in the position for a year maybe two years they were women they were women who were promoted to ceo positions and there was this big fanfare about it and within six months to a year of taking that of taking on that role the company was hemorrhaging money and they resigned maybe maybe it was not because of a female CEO, but because of the economy and the Biden administration and just the things that were going on. But it's not a good look. It's going to take women getting in positions of power and not acting like raging psychopaths like Olivia Wilde. It's going to take women being sincere in their Me Too accusations. If there hadn't been so many false accusations and accusations that ended up proving to be a woman scorned out for revenge, people might have continued to take it seriously. But it was littered with lies and fabrications and men being effectively ostracized for a number of months until it came out that it was all just a lie and a fabrication and that they didn't actually do anything. Like people saw that and they saw it in real time because Me Too was so in the news and so prevalent and so being pushed down our throats that you saw it every time there was a Me Too accusation. And then you started to see and hear about how many of them were false and how many of them were completely made up and how many of these guys did nothing at all. The Duke lacrosse thing was so hugely public. And then it was all fake. And then, like, you have wrecked the credibility of your movement when you have that many high-profile things that just, I mean, Brett Kavanaugh was the 
biggest, the most, like the highest profile that you could possibly have. And there was nothing there. Like there was no foundation for any of the accusations. Like the fact that the dude kept a, like a literal diary that had all of the, like everything. Like, and that all of the friends of whatever Christine Blasey Ford's like friends even came out and said, none of that happened. I don't know what she's talking about. Like when you have your two most high profile, I mean, outside of Weinstein, when your two most high profile cases are Brett Kavanaugh and the Duke lacrosse thing, and they both turn out to be complete bullshit, that wrecks your movement. Don't blame misogyny. Don't blame the patriarchy. Don't blame backlash for people losing interest in, turning away from, and outright rejecting Me Too and feminism. Blame your own shitty people who have fucked this up for you. That's it. That's it for this nice bonus episode. Hopefully you got something out of this. I don't know. I wanted to I wanted to finish the article because I only read about half of it for the Daily Show the other day and, and I felt like I was leaving stuff out, but I also didn't want to keep going with a show that I normally try to keep shorter. So bonus episode it is. Hope you enjoyed it. Catch you next time. Later. We've got a brand new sponsor for 2023, and I am really excited to partner with Agorist Acres. Now, agoristacres.com, you can find over 100 varieties of seeds. They've got vegetables, flowers, all kinds of stuff. They've got heritage brands, everything that you want to start any kind of garden that you need. It's free shipping on any order of $20 or more. They've got cool packaging, and most of the seeds come in a fancy glass vial, no paper envelopes. They accept U.S. dollars and crypto and can easily take either at checkout. Now, be sure to head over to agoristacres.com, and anything that you get... Use the promo code FCT at checkout for 10% off your order. I say all the time that you need to be starting your own garden. You need to be growing your own food. You need to be getting off the grid and becoming less dependent on grocery stores and stuff like that. Agorist Acres is a great first start. They have got everything you need for whatever kind of garden you want. Great people, great product, highly recommend. So go check them out.